Welcome to the River Life Podcast. As you listen, we pray that you will encounter Jesus and allow His words to wash you anew. May He reveal more of who He is to your heart. Here's the message for this week. Good morning, church. Well, I'm so happy to see many of you here. I met someone at the toilet just now, and he says, so good to be back worshipping God physically in this church. He says, so different from worshipping God over a TV screen. You agree, right? That's why you're here. That's great. Yeah, I think uh, like Brother Sean Kong said, we're starting in July this new series about building the altar. You know, the word altar can be a foreign word to many of us 20th century Christians, right? Uh, When we talk about altar, many of you will think about your ancestor, you know, your mom and dad or your grandpa, grandma having a table with joystick and then uh, with a picture of your ancestor or, you know, idols before it, and we call that an altar. But I want to tell you too that altar is also a biblical concept. If you were to look at the Old Testament, you know, many Old Testament saints built altar to worship God. And I'll give you a list of these people here. Uh, let's let's have, have the list of them. You have people like Noah, Abraham, Jacob, Moses, Aaron, Joshua, Gideon, Samuel, David, and the Jews who came back from exile. There are two ways that they decided to build altar. One is like people like you know Abraham and Jacob, their powerful encounter with God. And they decided that they would build an altar to commemorate that experience and worship God there. Then there's another group of people like Noah or the Jews after they came back from exile. Noah was trapped in an ark for months. And when the flood subsided, God let him out. The first thing he did was he set up an altar to give thanks to God for the survival of him and his family. And then we look in Ezra 3. When the people came back from from Babylon, they stepped into Jerusalem. One of the first things they did was they built an altar to consecrate themselves once again to God and, you know, to start new with God, in the walk with God. So, altar is actually an Old Testament concept. But what is its meaning today? Some of you will will ask. Well, Brother Sean Kong has told you, essentially, conceptually, an altar is a meeting place between God and man. It is a place where we actually have worship consecration, sacrifice, and fellowship with the Lord. It is a place where our personality, our identity, our belief system, and our behavior are shaped when we are at the altar of God. And the Word of God changes our heart. 
In today's context, essentially an altar is our heart where we decide that we are going to make space and time to be with God. That's what it means to rebuild an altar. So later on, in a few months' time, we'll be talking about setting up a family altar, for example, right? It is basically having family devotion with God. Let me show you a picture. One of my cheeky friends, when I told him that we must build an altar, a family altar, this is what he did. He said, I have a family altar already. And that is a big Samsung 72-inch screen. That is not the right altar, okay? The right altar is when you spend time with God, you know, uh, with your children, with your wife and your children every day. That's what I did when our children were young. So you know what an altar is? It's essentially something you create in your own heart, a time and space to be with God. Then there's another question that some of you will ask. Pastor, you know, I thought this year we are going to talk about the river flowing, right? With the imagery from Ezekiel 47. Why are we now talking about altar in the second half of this year? It's a valid question. How is the altar related to the river flowing? If we were to look at Ezekiel 47 verse 1, we read this text that in my vision, the man, which is actually an angel, brought me back to the entrance of the temple. And I saw a stream, which is the river of God, flowing east from beneath the door of the temple and passing to the right of the altar on its south side. You see the connection between the altar and the river flowing? The river flows from the temple and it passes by the altar in the compound of the temple. And whenever the altar is lighted up with a fire and when worship is being carried out, animal sacrifices were made, the river flows. But if you were to look in Ezekiel, same book, from chapter 8 to chapter 10, you see that when the people of Israel, when they became idolaters, and they brought in all the pagan gods and idols into the temple, they stopped sacrificing animals in worship of Yahweh at the altar. The altar was not lighted. And what happened? God wasn't worshipped and the Spirit of God was grieved and in chapter 10 of Ezekiel, the Lord reluctantly removed His Spirit from the temple and the glory of God departed from the temple. It's a powerful imagery of what can happen to our hearts also. Jesus, remember, said to us that, you know, the Holy Spirit is like the living stream that flows inside us. And when we have a clean, active altar of worship and devotion, the Spirit of God flows 
out from us into people, touching and transforming and helping people. But when we neglect our altar, when we allow our inner altar to be ruined, then what will happen is God's Spirit will stop flowing out of us to touch people. The Spirit of God will still reside with us even when we are carnal, but we are not able to activate the flow of the Holy Spirit into other people's life. So it is important for us if we want to go into revival both as a church and for ourselves, we need to have this altar lighted up with our devotion and worship. Then the Spirit of God can work and flow in us. You understand what I'm saying? Very quiet. Okay, never mind. I think you all know. You know, I learned something about Singaporean. We are very quiet people. When I go to the Philippines you know, to you know, preach, you know, they'll be saying, cheer on, pastor, amen. You know, they'll, they'll do that and I get excited. Yeah. <laughs> now today, we are going to talk about Jacob and his altar. And it is an altar of awakening. You know, Jacob, I think most of you know, he's actually the third generation of the patriarch. And he was actually the youngest son of Isaac and Rebekah. His brother, Esau, was his twin brother, born just a few minutes ahead of him. And Jacob, from young, As his name described him, he was a supplanter, someone who wants to get ahead in life through deceit and cunning scheme. So what Jacob did was that he tried to get ahead of his brother Esau, who was the firstborn. And he did two things to Esau. The first uh, mistake he did was that, you know, old Jacob, he bought his brother's birthright as the firstborn for a bowl of steel. Jacob was an opportunist. He knew the weakness of his brother Esau. And he knew that his brother Esau was a man of impulse, a man controlled by his stomach. Some of us are controlled by our stomach. And one day, while he was cooking steel, we can have the picture of uh, Esau and Jacob. Esau came back, you know, with hunger after a hunting trip. And he smelled this beautiful steel that Jacob cooked. And he said, I would like this bowl of steel. I'm famished. And Jacob said, well, brother, you can have it. We are brothers, right? But you must sell me your birthright. And Jake, uh, Esau, you know, was so hungry, he said, what's the point of having a birthright? Okay, you can have it. And he bought and he sold his birthright for a bowl of steel. We may not understand the significance of this, but in the olden days 
in the Middle East. The firstborn has special birthright. And because he's the firstborn, usually he will get double portion of his father's inheritance. And he will get the best choice of the father's property, especially, you know, farmland. And he will be the preeminent, the dominant one in the family. He will be the head after the father dies. And Jacob once said, so he tricked his brother to sell his birthright for a bowl of steel. The second misdeed that Jacob did was that he deceived his father, Isaac, to bless him with Esau's blessing as a firstborn. He dressed himself as Esau. He deceived his blind father, uh, Isaac, and he told his father, bless me with the firstborn blessing. And Isaac smelled him, thought that he was actually Esau, and blessed him that he will be the dominant figure, he'll be the head of the home, and that everyone else in the household will be under his subjection. And Esau, by this, sorry, Jacob, by the, uh, deceit, actually got the blessing of the firstborn from his father. When Esau found out, oh, he was enraged. He said, this guy cheated me twice, my birthright and now my blessing. I'm going to kill him when my father dies. And when Rebecca heard that, the mother heard that, she was frightened. So she quickly convinced the father, Isaac, to send Jacob away. And this is where we hear the story about Jacob's journey of being awakened by God. Jacob's spiritual awakening at battle. So we are going to read this text that's found in Genesis 28, verse 10 to 11, 15. Okay? Let me read to you. Meanwhile, Jacob left Bathsheba and traveled towards Herod. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp and stopped there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. As he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from earth up to heaven, and he saw angels of God going up and down the stairwell. I would uh, stop here and explain to you. This was the first time that Jacob has run away from home to an unknown country where his uncle Reuben was living. And as he went on this journey, he was alone, he was restless, he was fearful, he was uncertain of his future. And when he reached this place called Bethel, or Lux, Al-Uzak, he was so tired, feeling so, so down that even a rock was a good pillow for him to sleep on. And when he slept, 
Let's look at verse 13 onward. And when he slept, he has this dream. And verse 13, we read that at the top of the stairway, stairway, you know, stood the Lord. Okay, God was on top of this stairway. And God said to Jacob, I'm the Lord, God of your grandfather Abraham, God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to me. I am giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions to the west and the east, to the north and the south, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I'm with you. I will protect you wherever you go. One day I'll bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I finish giving you everything I have promised you. It was an awesome, awesome promise of God. Let's put out the text here and study it carefully. The first thing God declared to Jacob was that I am the Lord. Can we put out the verses? The God of your father Abraham and the God of your father Isaac. For the first time, Jacob realized that he belongs to this immutable sovereign God called Yahweh. And that he and his forefathers have this same blessing from this awesome deity. God made these promises to him. Basically, there were four of them. One, Jacob will receive all the promised land that Abraham and Isaac had received in promise. Two, God is going to give, you know, to Jacob and his descendants the land and his descendants are going to be numerous. That is the second thing. And they're going to spread out over. And Jacob will be a blessing to others. And we find out that that was realized later that his descendant, Jesus, would ultimately be the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And through Jesus, God will bless all of us in the world. So Jacob will be a source of blessing to the world. And the fourth promise that God gave to him is that I'm going to protect you. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to fulfill all the promises that I gave to you. Wow. This is something that Jacob has never realized before. He has heard from his father and grandfather about God's promises, but for the first time, he's hearing it from God, and that made all the difference. Suddenly, he was awakened to the fact that he's actually a son of God's promises. He's actually connected to Yahweh as a child. And God is going to give him a beautiful future, an amazing destiny. He's going to be a father of a big nation. 
and he's going to occupy the whole of Canaan. And God said, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to provide for you. And Jacob had an awakening that day. That he's the son of the promise. He's the son of the Most High God. And because of that, he didn't need any more to scheme, to cut corners, to use deceit in order to get ahead in life. He can simply trust this God to provide and to protect. And that awakening, folks, made all the difference. And what Jacob experienced, I hope we will experience in this second half of the year, that we would understand that we are also children of promises. And God has tremendous blessing kept in store for each one of us. Are we aware of that? I want to read something to you in Ephesians 1, verse 3. Paul said, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. Do you understand what it means? I don't. But I want to find out more. You know, I, I begin to realize that in life, many of us have been promised blessing by God. But over time, we forget about our true identity, oftentimes we forget about what God has installed for us concerning our future. And because we lose that identity, we lose that life purpose, we start to strive. We start to cut corners. We start to manipulate others in order to get ahead, just like Jacob. But when we begin to realize, hey, God has given me so much I don't need to really strive to be ahead of anyone else. I want to share you my personal story. I was a very ambitious young man after graduation. Even though I, I came to faith in Christ, I felt insecure. I felt that I must get ahead. And whenever I have you know, people opposing me in my work, I get very upset. I would uh, pray to God, you know, that God would do something bad to them. I mean, I, in some way I say, God, you have to rebuild the person, you know, maybe in a nicer word. And then one day, after the John Wimber seminar, when I went to ECP Parkway, to read the scripture, and God spoke to my heart through John 13 to 17 that I am loved by Him, that He cares for me so much. From that day onward, something broke. I didn't need to feel insecure anymore. I didn't need to feel that I have to strive to win approval from men. I felt free just to serve God and be myself in my workplace. 
And that changed me. Who are we in Christ? And what are our life purposes? You know, I, as I prepared this sermon, I did some research and I was able to find some promises of God, more than 90 promises of God for all of us, children of God. And I'm going to put them into two categories today for us uh, to look at. My identity in Christ, who I am in Christ. Can we have this first uh, set of slides, please? I think, you know, David Peter is going to come to share with us the power of declaration, the power of internalizing the Word of God. And I feel that we'll start today, right? Uh, even ahead of where he's going to conduct a seminar with us next week. I would like all of us to rise. And we're all going to speak out and internalize these marvelous promises that God has for us. So maybe at the count of three, we can all read together, Can Shall we do that? Okay, one, two, three. I am chosen before the creation of the world. I am holy and blameless. I'm adopted as his child. I'm bestowed with God's lavish grace. I am forgiven. I have both a purpose and a hope. I'm sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. I'm seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Folks, just look at the last sentence. I am seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. Do you know what the implication is? I want to find out. I want to meditate on this verse, Ephesians 2.6, to understand what God has restored for me. And this is what I would do this coming week. I want to look at another set of uh, proclamations. You know, uh, can we have the next one? What are my life purposes? Let's proclaim it together. One, two, three. I'm salt and light of the earth. I've been chosen to bear fruit. I'm a personal witness of Christ. I'm a minister of reconciliation. I can honor God through my marriage. I can parent my children with composure. I can depend on Christ's mighty power working within me. Father, I pray that as we read this text and as we spend time internalizing them, Lord, awaken our hearts to know what you have given us in your word. In the name of Jesus, I ask. Please be seated. I want you to look at the last uh, sentence here. I can depend on God's mighty power working within me. You know, last night, as I was preparing this sermon, I was having congestion, a running nose, uh, a terrible throat. I caught a chill when I thought that I could be macho, that I could actually walk in a swimming pool on a raining day, and I caught a cold. And when I read this text, 
I can depend on Christ's mighty power working within me. I told God, God, let your mighty power work right now in my heart, in my body. Heal me of this congestion. And I could see that, you know, gradually, the congestion left me, and uh, I felt better. This morning I woke up, I feel so much better without taking any medication or anything. That is the power of meditating and activating the Word of God. We need to be awakened, folks, about spiritual identity and all that. I want you to look at the next slide. Can we put it up? You know, our spiritual identity and God's given life purposes, I have actually, you know, put them in our sermon outline. You can get it in the e-bulletin. Or you can actually, uh, you know, take a picture of this QR code. There are 90 of them there. I would like you, over the next weeks or days or months, that you can actually choose, like say, five to ten of these promises that God has given you. Just read through them a couple of times and let one of them jump up in front of you. And then you realize that, hey, that is one promise that I want to actually, you know, meditate on and internalize in my own life. And when you start doing that, you're building an altar of awakening in you. And I believe that it's going to change your life. I have a few friends who sent in some testimony. I want to share one testimony with you. I have this friend who came to faith in this church, you know, uh, in April 2014. And at the end of the year, when he was reading John chapter 15, suddenly this text jumped out for him. And that was when Jesus said to his disciples, I no longer call you servants. You are now my friends. And I will reveal what my father has for you. And this man said, wow, this powerful savior, creator of the world, wants to be my friend. And that realization really awakened him. He couldn't believe it. Then in February 2015, he was being interviewed by Pastor Thomas, you know, for baptism. And in that time of interview, Pastor Thomas, being prophetic, shared with him that I sense that God wants to say two things, three things to you. One, you're deeply loved by him. Your sins have been forgiven. And three, Jesus wants to be your friend. And this friend of mine, he was shocked. How could God, I mean, how could Thomas know what private conversation he had with Jesus? And he began to realize that the Christian faith is real. And if Jesus, the Savior of the world, would be his friend, He's going to live his life with utmost devotion, obedience, 
to the best of his ability. And I've seen this man grown over the years. Friend, there's power when we're awakened at the altar to realize the promises that God has for us. Now I want to come to the second part. What is Jacob's response to God's revelation? We're going to read uh, Genesis 28, verse 16 to 22. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I wasn't even aware of it. But he was also afraid, and he said, What an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. Jacob was awed. He was frightened. And he developed a healthy fear of God. In verse 18, the very next morning, Jacob got up very early. He took the stone, he has rested his head against, and he set it upright as a memorial pillar. And he poured olive oil over it. Scholars will tell you that he was consecrating that stone to be an altar with the olive oil. And he named that place Bethel, which means house of God, even though it was previously called Lutz. So Jacob built an altar to remember the powerful encounter he had with God. And then Jacob made this uh, decision, this vow before God. Jacob made this vow. He said, if God will indeed be with me, protect me on this journey, and if He will provide me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will certainly be my God. And this memorial pillar I've set up will become a place for worshipping God, and I will present to God a tent of all that He gives to me. Jacob had just very simple needs at that point of time. God has made powerful you know, uh, promises to him that he would be a big nation, he would inherit Canaan, he would be a source of blessing to people. But all Jacob needed at that time was that, God, if you are just with me, leading me, protecting me, providing f- food and clothing for me, and send me home safely to my father's house. That is good enough for me. You know, that is good enough for me. And then, if you do all these things to me, I'm going to do three things. One, I'm going to make you my God. Two, you know, I'm going to, uh, you know, this place I set up will be a worship, a place of worship, and you know, I'm going to give a tenth of all that you have blessed me with. Jacob had very simple requests and need at the time. But he was starting on the right journey. You must remember that Jacob was a very immature believer at that time. He was a new believer. 
And because of what he did, the God bless him. Here I want to share another testimony with you about awakening. There's a sister at this church. You know, she said in 2015, when she noticed that many of her girlfriends are either attached or got married, she got a bit stressed about her singlehood. And she was looking around for Prince Charming. Then one day at a prayer meeting, she encountered God and God spoke to his heart, her heart. And she felt God saying, I love you deeply and you are secured in me. You know, I will bless you. And that awakening made her realize that, hey, God is enough for me. I will serve God and walk with Him, not regardless of whether He give me a Prince Charming or otherwise. I won't want to look around anymore. I will just focus on walking with God. And guess what? A year later, the night on in shining armor, the white knight came. They got married, and today she's a happy mother of two sons. Some, God meet us wherever we are. And I want to say to you that when you make God the Lord, the main focus of your life, you'll be surprised what God will do for you. From that day onward, we're coming to the last part, uh, the second last part. You know, Jacob was never the same from that day onward. He began to depend on God as he faced life challenges. There's one big life challenge that Jacob faced when he actually went to his uncle's house to live and work with his uncle Laban. He found that Laban was even more cunning, shrewd, and unscrupulous than he was before. And through manipulation, Laban was able to trick Jacob to serve him for 14 years in order to marry a wife that he loves and to marry another wife that he didn't want. And then Jacob again, I mean, Laban again manipulated him to serve another six more years, a total of 20 years. That six years, you know, would be his wages. That, that year, that six years would be a time for Jacob to accumulate his wealth. And we read in Genesis 31, verse 7, verse 6, Jacob complained to his two wives, Rachel and Leah, 
that, you know, your father has been hard to me. You know, I work for him, you know, your father, verse 6, but he's cheated me, he has, changes, he has changed my wage, wages 10 times. Every time Jacob was prospering, as he worked for his uh, father-in-law, Laban would come and change the goalposts. But God still allowed him to kick the goal into that new goalpost. Ten times he was cheated. But Jacob didn't fight back. Jacob didn't counter-attack his father-in-law. But he trusted God to keep and protect him. Friends, we need revelation like that. That God is our protector. God is our provider. So we don't need to strive to get worried in life. Again, I get a testimony from another friend of mine in this church. And he shared about how God provided for him. This friend, he was working. His first job was a junior forex trader. And when he went to trade forex in this big bank, he found out that all the senior traders, they would always quote forex rate higher than what it was in the market. And that was cheating in some ways. So when this friend of mine actually approached his senior and asked them, why do you do that? They said, why not? We get bigger cut in the margin. We get bigger profit and we get bigger bonuses. But he felt that this wasn't right. It is dishonesty. But to his colleagues, it's okay. As long as you're not found out. After a while, my friend felt very, very uh, troubled inside. And one day, he was reading Matthew 7, and verse 16 stood out, that a good tree must produce good fruits, and it must be seen by others to be good fruits. So this friend of mine, he decided that, okay, I'm going to step up in obedience. I'm not going to work in such an environment anymore. He resigned from his job, even though his wife was pregnant with the first child. And he felt that she, he has to trust God to give him a job where he can have honesty and integrity. And God, he said, was humorous. God gave him a job where he would have the best 100% integrity, 100% honesty. He managed to get a job with MAS, our Singapore Central Bank. That is a place that, you know, you have the best honesty and integrity. Right now, this friend of mine is running one of the largest fixed income department in one of the main uh, financial institution in Singapore. God bless us when we allow him to take over our future. I want to come to the last part, Jacob's return to his altar. After 20 years of serving, God 
in uh, Genesis 35, verse 1, say to Jacob, get ready to move to Bethel and settle there. Build an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. And when Jacob heard that, he called all his household. Three things you need to do. One, today you must get rid of all your pagan idols. Remember, Raven was an Aramean, okay? They have a lot of idols. Purify yourself. Put on clean clothing to signify that you are a new person. We are now going to battle. We are going to build an altar to the God who has answered my prayer when I was in distress. He has been with me wherever I've gone. Jacob went back to battle and he built an altar there to worship God. And then in verse 9, okay, in verse 9, we read that God appeared to him again at battle and then God gave him a new revelation. God repeated all the promises he has made before and then God gave him a new revelation. From today onward, okay, your name will be Israel, which means a one who strives with God. And then Jacob set up a stone to mark the place where God has spoken to him. He offered wine over it as an offering to God and he anointed the pillar with olive oil. And that was his altar of awakening and remembrance. So, what can we say about Jacob? i just quickly summarize it this way. Jacob was a cunning guy before, manipulative. He wasn't sure about his true identity in God. But at battle, he was awakened to his new identity, to his new destiny. So he decided to walk with God and he built an altar to worship God. And from that day onward, Jacob depended on God to face all his life challenges. As a result, the Lord blessed him. And he became a father of a nation that's named after him, Israel. What a change when a person is awakened to his destiny. So, what does this mean for us? I want to summarize our sermon this way today. Okay? Let's have this sermon summary. Many of us live defeated life, okay? Because we forget our true identity in Christ. Today, we need to be awakened to know our true identity and life purposes. And when we are able to do that, we are able to live for God and experience His abundant life. So church, today, I appeal to you, let us return to that altar of awakening and find our true identity and destiny. 
How can we do that? Three very simple steps that we can take where we, from a pussycat, we can become a lion. Okay? Can we have the next slide? How do we return to our auto awakening? Let's make a determination to set up an altar to encounter God. Pray for God to give you a fresh encounter. I always ask God for fresh encounter. The second thing is meditate on the scriptures concerning our spiritual identity and purposes. I've given you 90 of them. Take time over the next month to meditate on them and see those verses that God, you know, has put into your heart, the, the identity verses that jump in front of you. Meditate on them and then actualize them. The third thing is live out that conviction with the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to say this to you. Like Jacob, if we were to be awakened through scriptures on what God has for us, we will be very different people. We're going to take the communion soon, but as we get ready for the communion, I just want to share another testimony with you. By the way, all this testimony that people have sent to me, they've given me permission to share them with you. There's a sister in our church. She said she grew up in a big family. But somehow, all the years in her life, she has always felt unloved, odd, and not being appreciated. And she would have a, this dark, sad face that her mother would describe as dark-faced goddess. And she said she would always have to strive in order to get affirmation from people. She'd be reserved, she'd be quiet. She always felt left out. In her mid 40s or late 40s, her mother shared with her that the mother tried to abort her when she was in the womb. And she was so hurt by her mom's confession. Yet she loved her mother deeply and she decided that she would, you know, forgive her mom. A few years later, when she was having prayer ministry, God broke in and showed her that at the time when your mother decided to abort you, I was there with you. I was there to protect you in the womb. You are beautifully and fearfully made, wonderfully made, and my hand is in you, even though you still 
was unborn. And that revelation made her realize how much God has loved her. It was a awakening in her heart. And then she felt so significant, she felt so loved, she felt so accepted. And something broke over her sadness, over her sense of being unwanted. And today, every now and then you'll meet her when she greets you outside. And she'll be smiling, you know, from ear to ear. That is the power, my friend, of being awakened by God. And I hope that all of us today will make it an effort to come before the Lord and say, Lord, awaken my heart. I want to know you better. I want to know your promises better. I want to actualize all that you have promised to me. We're coming to the table right now of God. And we're going to take the communion together. I want you to just right now, just bow your head, close your eyes, and talk to the Lord Jesus. Jesus is in our midst. You have heard the sermon. Would you make a response to the Lord who has died for you? Would you say yes to Him when He calls you into the inner chamber? to be with Him? Would you write an altar and consecrate yourself to the Lord so that you will know His promises better? And if these are your desire, I would like you to stand up right now because I want to pray a blessing for you. Father, I want to thank you for all my brothers and sisters standing up. Lord, saying that I'm going to reveal my altar. I want to be awakened by you, Lord, through your promises in scriptures concerning my life, concerning my identity, concerning my future. And here I am today, yielded and consecrated to you. Father, as they do that, I ask that you would honour their faith, their decision, and today, God, you will change them as a rebuild this altar of awakening. God, move in their lives and let them see the beauty and the wonder of your word and your promises. So bless them, Lord, with your Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, I ask of you.
And God's people say, Amen. Let's come to the altar right now. And let's partake of this bread and this cup. I'm going to read to you 1 Corinthians 11. What Paul said to all of us as we partake of this bread and the cup. For I receive from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, He took bread, and when He's given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us partake of this bread together and say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. As we take of this cup, let's say to the Lord Jesus, Thank you for shedding your blood for the remission of my sin. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you fulfill what your father promised to Jacob, to Isaac and to Abraham. That through them and their descendants, they will be a blessing to the whole world. And Lord Jesus, you're the fulfillment of that promise. You came into this world, you died so that we may have life. And the whole world has been blessed by you. And we thank you, Lord, that you have always kept the covenant that you made to the patriots. Today, Father, as we drink of this cup and take of this bread, we want to remember all the blessing you have poured upon us. Help us, Lord, to enjoy them in the days ahead. In the name of Jesus, we bless you. And God's people say, Amen. We're going to have the benediction now. Would you just raise up your hands and let me bless you. May the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob be with you that as he made his covenant with Abraham, in many ways this covenant will also be real spiritually for you all. May, be, may Jesus, our Saviour, enlighten your hearts as you spend time at the altar of awakening. And may the Holy Spirit Illuminate your mind through the Word of God, through the promises of God as you spend time reading it. And may He empower you with His strength and might 
to actualize and internalize all the convictions that is put in your heart. And may you become, like Jacob, a new person with a new identity, with a new mission for God. May you be blessed by Him. And God's people say, Amen. Thank you, folks. Thank you for listening to the River Life Podcast. We hope that you've encountered Jesus through the Word. If you'd like to connect with community or find out more about River Life Church, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or head on over to riverlife.org.sg. God bless and have a great week ahead.